Hey, good morning, Sojourner, uh, wherever you are. Um, good to see everybody here today. And um, yeah, as, as, as James has already asked, uh, continue to pray as we work through this time. Uh, I, I know if you're aware, the numbers of the pandemic are kind of going up. And so as we prepare for reopening, help us to be wise about it. And also helps us to be careful personally, individually, and safe out there as you, you know, do your thing, whatever that is. But we're back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we've been talking about, um, pretty much Paul's been talking about relationships, uh, particularly with marriage, with singlehood, with the tough issues of divorce and, and sex and all this kind of stuff. And we were looking in the details, but what we're doing is we're kind of moving away from those, those topics specifically, um, and we're going to take a little bit of a step back and zoom out a little bit to address something I think not just today but maybe next week and even the week after something that I think Paul generally addresses here particularly in our passage in verses 17 to verse 24 and that's the issue of contentment uh, contentment and it's a common issue and it's a very I think um, relevant issue not just for the church here in Corinth but also for us today I'm not a, much of a, uh, I guess you could say a social media kind of person, um, but I do have a Facebook account. I do have an Instagram account. And most of the times I, 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 I'm just looking at pictures and it's nice to see, you know, pictures of people and what they're doing, where they are right now in life, so on and so forth. But once in a while, I don't know if you've ever done this, but once in a while, if you ever look at a, a post and, uh, you know, it's someone maybe that you knew, or you kind of knew, and, and, and every post that they post, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, it's like they have the perfect life, right? Um, you know, those people that you know, are in California, and all they do is post pictures of those nice beaches, uh, the nice weather, and everything seems great, great food. And, and you're looking at that, and what happens, or what happens to me is I get envious, you know? I, I get envious, like, that looks really nice and New Jersey or New York, and it's not that great right now. Uh, and so wouldn't it be great to have their life, right? Even for pastors, there are pastors who always post on Facebook or Instagram, and it always seems like they've got the perfect church or the perfect ministry or things are going really great for them and they've got no issues. And, and so I'm thinking, well, you know what, that, that, that would be great if I could have their life, or maybe their church, you know, whatever the case is. But the point is, uh, these kinds of things, even social media affects us in one way or another, it, it tends to generate a, a discontent, even with our own lives, not that our lives are so bad, or is anything so wrong with it sometimes, but that there is something better out there that we see, and it leads to a, a dissatisfaction that kind of tells us, you know what, not my life, I want that life. And, and, um, you know, they, they say this, they say in, in order to kind of fight against that, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. And so don't fall for that. Right. Uh, or maybe you've heard this saying before, if you're ever in these kind of moments, we're called to bloom, bloom where we are planted, bloom where we're planted. You know, grass is always good on the other side. You know, it seems like it's better, but not really. And we're called to bloom where we're planted. We hear these things maybe once in a while. But the thing is, even though we might know this in our heads, it's not always easy to do, is it? Because there's one word that can sometimes sum up uh, the mood or the ethos of our culture today. And I think that word is simply this. The word is more. More. No matter what we have, all right, no matter how much we have, we are always under the impression that there is more, that 
that there's always something bigger, something, something better, uh, something sweeter just right there around the corner. And there's always something more. And oftentimes we, we want more, right? We want more, maybe in our vocations, maybe in our careers, we want more maybe in our relationships or the lack thereof. Uh, we want more in our finances. Uh, maybe even in our families, um, our friends, uh, whatever, our schools, whatever it is, we always want more. And in a culture society that always looks for the next big thing, right? Uh, to bloom where we are planted, it, it sounds almost incomprehensible to us. So not only are we a people who probably have more than we have ever had, at the same time, we are also probably the most discontent that we've ever been in the history of our culture. And so not just because Paul addresses this issue somewhat here from our study here in 1 Corinthians, but it's also because it's something that I think we need to be reminded of that many of us need to hear, especially uh, during this time of pandemic and having our lives sort of do a 180 and um, going through hard and difficult situations. It's something that we need to be reminded of and that's the issue of contentment. Paul is going to talk to us about Christian contentment, about being content with what we have uh, with where we are, even if where we are is, is going to be just only for a moment, even if we're not really settling for the situation. But what he's wants to say is that whatever the situation, sometimes even in spite of our situation, he's going to tell us what it means to still be content. And to address this issue, as we look at our passage today, uh, as Brandon has just you know read so well, there's a word there that Paul uses repeatedly to begin to talk about it. And you find this word here in verse 17, you find it again in verse 18, uh, then you find it again in verse 20, and then twice in verse 22, and then finally in verse 24. And that word is the word call, call, or called call. And what I'm going to do in this passage is I'm going to show you how Paul, from his perspective of things, uh, this word call, there's actually two senses of the word that he gives us in our passage. And understanding these two senses of the word call is Paul's way of understanding what it means to be content in our lives and how we do that. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two senses of the word call that Paul gives us, and then he gives us two, I guess, uh, examples uh, in his context of how these things uh, need to play out. All right, so for Paul, the answer to the discontentment that a culture of more seems to generate is bound up with understanding God's call in our lives. Now, I know many of us, we, we aren't used to thinking about our lives as having a call, right? And when we talk about callings in Christian circles, oftentimes we're thinking about those people who are who are called into Christian ministry, people like pastors or missionaries, someone with an official title or an official ministry. They've got a calling, right? But when you look at our passage or you heard our passage read, the frequency which, with which Paul uses the word call, verse 17, 18, 20, 22, 24, these verses, in almost every case except one, when Paul uses the word call, he's referring to God's special saving call in our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's referring our call to be Christians. And he's saying this, this sense of the word call, he's saying this, you didn't just wake up one morning and decide that you were going to be a Christian. It may seem like that from your vantage point, but from God's vantage point, the only reason you did is because God called you. 
that he summoned you to faith in Jesus Christ through the message of the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. He enabled you to respond to that call, to place your trust in him and to receive an entirely new identity. So this calling is a calling that has been given to every confessed Christian here today. Okay, so that's the first sense of the word call. And it's the majority sense in which Paul uses the word call in our passage. Okay, but there's a second use of the word or the second sense of the word that Paul uses in our passage, an exception, you could say, and it's found here in verse 17. This is what he says. Paul uses the word call in a different way. And he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Right here, when Paul uses the word call, he's not talking about that saving, renewing, transforming call of the Christian, but rather he's referring to our unique and particular vocations in life. Our assignments, he calls them, in life. By the way, you know, the English word vocation comes from the same root word as voice or, or vocal. Literally, it means calling. Vocation is a calling. And so what Paul here is saying is not just that we've been called to faith through the word and by the spirit, but he's saying in verse 17, each one of us have been called, in a sense, to an assignment in life. A vocation, if you will, roles, uh, responsibilities, whether it's, it's as a husband or a wife, uh, as a father or mother, or as, as children and siblings, as an employee, as a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, uh, you know, corporate worker, whatever it is, as a homemaker, so on and so forth. Paul calls these stations in life as callings by God. Now, I'm not sure if you ever thought about your life and the things that you do in life as a calling, but this is how Paul likes to think of it. God has given each of us in his providence a calling in life that's different for everybody. So there you see two senses of the word in which Paul uses. The first is the saving call of Christ that makes us all Christian at a basic level. And the second is the call of God given to each one of us in various circumstances of our daily living, right? And I think it's important to keep these two ideas of callings in our minds. They are two different things, and, and yet they are somehow related when it comes to the idea of contentment in our lives. Because very often, we become dissatisfied or discontent with our lives, I think, when we confuse these two ideas of callings. Here's what I mean. So the first call is your call to faith. It's your identity in God's eyes. It's your vertical relationship with God. You've been called by God to be a son and daughter of him, right? But the second call is your human relationships and responsibility, right? On earth, it's your horizontal, if you will. That's a call that's different for every one of us. It's your vocational call. But oftentimes, we confuse our call to faith with our vocational call. In other words, we confuse our vertical with our horizontal. We confuse our identity, which ought to come from our vertical relationship with God, with our responsibilities and our vocations, our horizontal relationships with people that God gives us. And when that happens, when we confuse the two, then we start looking for our identity, uh, our significance, our, our, our self-worth and value. We start looking for those things, uh, not in the vertical, but in the horizontal, in our relationships, in our vocations, in our work. 
We start placing a burden on our job or our marriages or our relationships or our families, our daily duties to find our meaning and purpose. And they were never meant to bear that. When you look for your identity and your worth in a vocation or job or, or people or stuff, you will never be satisfied as you should because those things, much of them are never stable. They're never the same. They don't stay the same. And certainly they're never perfect. And so we're always up and down in our lives when we think about these things. But when you start to understand that if you're a Christian called by God to faith in him, that your identity is now rooted in the saving and transforming call of your Redeemer, then whether you're a success or a failure at work, whether it's frustration or inadequacy in your relationships, as a parent or with your children or with your spouse or your family or even your friends, whatever, whatever the issue is, those things ultimately cannot touch who you really are. Because your identity is not derived from your performance in your vocations. Your identity is in God's saving love for you in Christ Jesus. You died with him, Paul says in other letters, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that means this. Your security, your identity is not ultimately found in any horizontal calling or vocation or relationship. It's elsewhere. It's in Jesus Christ, right? It's in the vertical call of God by which he's made you his very own son and daughter through the person and the work of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And if you could just realize this, that your real and your true identity is rooted there, then maybe you'll start to find or begin to find some freedom from the daily demands of our sort of, we just want more in our culture, in our culture. That you'll be free maybe from always looking for the next big thing. Uh, freedom from a culture that says, you know, we, we just can't really be complete or satisfied without academic success, without employment advancement, without accumulated wealth, without fulfilling our, uh, without a fulfilling human relationship. Maybe we could be free from that burden when you understand where your real identity comes from. So Paul here, I think, wants to set us free from, from that kind of dissatisfaction that, that troubles so many of us. He wants us to find a kind of contentment that, that weathers the storms of our lives, that, a kind that sustains us in spite of, of our ever-changing world. He wants us to find a contentment. In other words, he wants us to bloom where we're planted. And he wants us to find it not in our vocational callings or in whatever relationships we find, but to find it in our calling from our Father in heaven, who has called each and every one of us as his own beloved in spite of our failures. And even in spite of our successes, his love for us has not changed. So this is what Paul means when he says in verse 17, lead the life that the Lord has assigned you at this present time. He's basically saying, I want you to bloom where you're planted. Whatever the future may hold, be faithful with the present. He says it again, verse 20, one, each one should remain in the condition which he was called. And again, one more time at the very end of our passage, verse 24, he says, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And so the problem with the people here in the church of Corinth was that because they had the call of God, they started thinking, well, 
you know what? Now that I know Jesus, there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something bigger and better out there for me than this. And so what they did was they started walking out on their relationships. They started walking out on their jobs. They started walking out on their, their daily lives. And, and maybe we, we thought the same. I, certainly, I, I know I, I have. There are moments where I'm so discontent. I'm thinking there's got to be something bigger than this. There's got to be something more than this. And you start wanting to think about what can I change? What can I do, right? And of course, this is not to say that, that sometimes, you know, that might be true. That according to God's purposes, that there will be more or there is something more. But here's the point. Until that purpose becomes more clear, right? If at all, policing bloom where you're planted. How? By understanding that contentment doesn't come from your vocation or from anything else in this horizontal plane, but it comes from your redemption. Not from your life's work or your life's earthly relationship, but it comes ultimately from your life's Lord, from his work, okay, from his relationship. Not from what you do for God or what you do for anyone else or what they've done for you, but rather in what God has done for you, what God has done in you, in Christ. That's where you to find your contentment. And Paul here is saying, even to this church in Corinth, I want you to look there. And he gives us two examples now, two case studies where people were just discontent. They were dissatisfied. And Paul tells them simply to bloom where they are. And I'm not going to go into each of these examples because there's so much we could say about them. But just as two case studies, the first is in verse 18 and 19. And he talks about people who who are talking about circumcision. And this is kind of irrelevant to many of us. But it was very relevant in his culture, a culture where uh, Jewish people were becoming Christian. But circumcision was still like this great badge of belonging to the Jewish people. And and here, one group of people say, hey, you want to be a Christian, you've got to get circumcised. You've got to maintain your Jewishness. But but there's another group of people that that wanted to distance themselves from, from Jewishness. And they said, well, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to get uncircumcised. Now, don't ask me how you get uncircumcised, but they actually tried that. And you can look it up, but we won't talk about that. So they're, they're talking about circumcision. It, it was a tradition that they practiced to maintain or, you know, to contain their Jewishness. And, and Paul's saying that's an external issue. So he says in verse 19, neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision. But keeping the commandments of God, that's what matters. Paul says, no, whether you're circumcised or not, it doesn't matter. Stay as you are. Changing your Jewishness is not going to change God's favor for you, right? Changing your circumstance, in this case circumcision, is not going to change God's favor for you. That's the first case study. But the second study he brings up in verse 21 to 23, which, which we need to be careful about, he addresses slavery. Now, we need to be clear here. Paul's not addressing slavery oftentimes is the way we think about it today. Uh, you know, that, that sinful institution of slavery that was a product of a race-based prejudice where entire people groups were stolen from their home and forced into the most demeaning situation and treated simply like property, right? That's not the slavery that Paul is talking about here. The slavery that he's addressing is more like an indentured voluntary servitude. Sure, being a slave in this sense, they have, some of them had difficult lives, but the people in this situation, they were oftentimes skilled professionals, educators, businessmen, uh, men and women of all sorts. And oftentimes they were given salaries so they could sort of 
pay their way out of the situation. Some were in that situation because they committed a crime, but most of them were people who voluntarily put themselves there in order to deal with financial issues. Uh, for example, they couldn't pay a debt to somebody, so they had to work it off. And in, had, in order to work it off, they put themselves or placed themselves in servitude of that person who has their, who has their debt. Um, so I think that the issue here is, is not a, a necessarily a human rights issue. That's not what he's talking about when he says slavery. But here, certainly in the Church of Corinth, being this kind of indentured servant was a social status issue that if you were in this situation, uh, it wasn't just hard, but it, it was shameful. It, it was embarrassing. And oftentimes you would be treated less than equals because you had to be in this situation, whether it was because of financial hardship or whatever the case. It was, it was a social standing that these people lacked in the eyes of, of their own culture. Do you see that? And, and so you see the problem uh, with the Corinthians was, was that they were always in danger of defining themselves, of locating their identity in whether or not they had the right status, whether or not they had the right lifestyle, uh, whether or not they had the right social belonging. So they were arguing about whether you're circumcised or not, you know, which one is being the in crowd. They were arguing about, well, you know, you're, you're, you're an indentured servant, so you're not really, you know, uh, where you should be. And um, they were arguing about that. And so they were in the danger of rooting their identity and their worth in these earthly categories or these earthly vocations. Now, those are examples that Paul has to deal with, but, but think about our situation. Maybe not the same, but certainly similar. Maybe we're not talking about whether we're circumcised or not, or, or maybe we're not necessarily talking about being indebted to someone and serving them like they did. But some of us and many of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we are preoccupied with whether or not we fit in, in something or in some group because of the way we look or maybe because of the way we dress or because of the way we live where we went to school, what jobs we have, right? We easily can find ourselves hoping or aspiring to fit into some kind of particular social group, to, be, uh, to want to be on the inside and not on the outside, to make our lifestyles correspond to our own expectations of a certain sign of success. We can be driven by those things as well. But Paul here says this, he wants to remind the church in Corinth and us that God has already, by his grace, called you to himself. He's called you to his life. He's called you from death to life. He's given you a new identity in Christ. And that's what really matters. Whether you're circumcised or not, whether you're Jewish or not, whether you're, you're a slave or not, the important thing is you live out your new creation in a life that pleases the Lord. And I think this can be um, helpful for some of us that when things in our lives don't seem to be going well, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, uh, whether it's in our relationships, uh, when these things aren't going well, we are easily focused on, on these horizontals, right? We're easily prone to be discontent. And Paul here is saying this, focus on a life that is more vertical, a life that is more Godward, that's where you find real contentment. 
And listen to what he says in verse 22 here in our passage. He says this, he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a free man in the Lord. But likewise, he who was free when he was called is a slave of Christ. And this is what he means. He says this, when the gospel gives you your identity, it brings you a freedom. Not just physical freedom, but it brings you spiritual freedom. Your outward situation, right, where you belong, if you understand your identity in Christ, your outward situation becomes less ultimate because your more ultimate is in your relationship with Christ. And the same time in verse 22, he says, likewise, for those in the church who have high status, who are masters, who are bosses, right, who have high positions in their culture, right, your status also becomes less ultimate less important, less significant, when you understand your calling in Jesus Christ as a son and daughter of Christ. What Paul is saying here is this, that it isn't your social standing that's the most important thing, but it's your right standing before a holy God in Jesus Christ that matters. Root your significance, root your worth there. And you'll be free from the burden of trying to find your worth, your significance, your satisfaction in some earthly vocation that never will be ever complete or same. He tells us to remember in verse 23, Paul says, you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Christ gave himself to make you his so that those of us who feel like we're living in bondage, there is freedom. Freedom from the tyranny of what the world says we need to be, or even what our own conscience says we want to be. And at the same time, if you remember that you've been bought at a price, those of us who think we're free to live however you want, when you come to Christ, there's a slavery to his lordship that now identifies you. You belong to him, and that ought to mean that his rules define you, that it ought to direct your life here on out. And that's where you find your real freedom to be who you are created to be. Paul's concern, the gospel's concern, it's not for social or political revolution or advancement of power, but it's for personal transformation. So he says in verse 23, do not be slaves of men. And certainly I think that could apply to, to real slaves in a literal way. But more completely in verse 23, when he says, do not be slaves of men, he's saying this, don't let the opinions of your culture, your society, your circles, your friends, your families, people dominate your thinking. What they think of you socially, what they think of you vocationally or relationally or even otherwise. But let what God thinks about you matter the most. This is the battle, I think, where, where many of us, even including myself, we need to face day to day. Because too often, even in our own culture, what it says, what the people around you say about you, sometimes what you say about you is what matters the most to us. We say, yes, you know, I am a Christian, but there's all these pressures of life that are calling us and claiming us and driving us to, to seek to live up to the expectations of others or of our particular social network or of our particular vocations or, or even in home, in our relationship. And that pressure, it can sometimes feel like oppression. But Paul here is saying this, that there is freedom from that. 
Because your identity, your significance, your self-worth, it isn't found somewhere out there. It's found in him. It's found in Christ. So live for him. Don't let the opinions of people dictate your life. Don't be slaves to men, but be your master. Because you and I, we have another master. And it's Jesus Christ, and he's called to reign in your heart. So when you find yourself being restless, uh, being discontent, being dissatisfied for whatever reason, when you find it hard to, to bloom where you've been planted, before you try and make some drastic circumstantial change in your life, consider this. Consider the possibility that as a Christian, you are confusing those two calls again. You've been looking for your contentment and significance, your worth and your value in an earthly call or vocation or situation. When all the time you should have been looking for your significance, your worth, your value, your satisfaction in the call of God that the gospel has given to you. In your identity, in your union with him. Right. You know, many of us, we, we even especially myself, we do a lot of what they call navel gazing. You know, you, you're always looking literally at your own belly button. You're looking down into yourself. Navel gazing literally is defined this way. It's a self-indulgent or excessive contemplation of oneself over an issue. Uh, at the expense of a wider view. Navel-gazing means you're spending too much time considering your own thoughts and feelings or problems. That's what we do, many of us, in our spare time. We are navel-gazing. And Paul here in our passage is telling the church and us, stop looking down at your belly button, right? Stop looking down into your own situation, into your own circumstances. Stop looking at your own self. And once in a while, look up. Look up to where Paul is saying. Remember where St. Augustine's prayer was? He says this, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless, Lord, till they find their rest in thee. End quote. Restless hearts will always be restless until we find our rest in Christ. And this is why Paul, or Jesus Christ himself, says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look up once in a while. Look at your call from God and what you have in him. And Jesus Christ promises, I will give you a contentment that the world cannot give. A contentment to bloom where you've been planted. Even if it's where you are for only a moment, because who we really are, wherever we are, who we really are, is not a function of what we do, but it's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what he has made us into. And I hope we remember this and I remind ourselves of this every day as we struggle and wrestle with our own dissatisfaction and discontent. And I pray that may you find a kind of contentment that actually lasts uh, throughout the end of your days. Let's pray.